The time has come to get ready for the 2022 World Cup. And what better way to prepare than by revisiting the World Cup's most amazing goals? I'm Brian Phillips. I'm making a podcast about the history of the Men's World Cup, told through the stories of 22 iconic goals. The show's called 22 Goals. It's out now on the Ringer Podcast Network, and we're having so much fun. It's the Ringer's Philly Special presented by FanDuel. The playoff action is heating up, and with FanDuel, you can bet on everything from the NBA Finals MVP to who's going to lift the Stanley Cup. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page, plus start betting on the pulse and get paid instantly when you win. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Ringers Philly special. Another post-game pod. Another win. What else is new? What a weekend in South South Philadelphia. Ho-hum. That's right. It, it started out... This weekend could have gone one of two ways down in South Philadelphia. You could have had the Philly season ended. You could have had the Eagles capping off the weekend by losing to the Cowboys. Instead, it goes the opposite way. The Eagles cap it off with a 26-17 win over the Cowboys. The Phillies advance to the NLCS. I'm Shiel Kapadia. Oh, shoot. I I was fast. I, I thought they just got in the playoffs. No. I'm Shilko. John, congrats. That's great. Who are they playing? <laughs> they will be playing the San Diego Padres. If you can't tell, I'll wow. talk to Benny Souls about the Eagles, and then I'll finish it with a segment on the Phillies. I was down there for both games this weekend. Had a great time. You might hear it in my voice a little bit. I tried some of Benny Souls' tea uh, before the, the podcast. Actually, it wasn't Benny Souls' tea, but I did have some tea. Get the throat going. Benny Souls, will this team ever lose? 6-0, and their next four games, what are they going to be favored by? Like double digits in all those games, at least a touchdown in all those games. They get the bye. They don't play a perfect game. They still beat the Cowboys. It's still a party down there at the link. How are you feeling? Uh, Steelers beat the Bucs. Maybe they're for real. No. Eagles are really, the Eagles are really good, man. Like this is, the, we're, we're six weeks in. They've won six games in a variety of ways. They've had, like, you know, the week two defensive performance against Minnesota. Then this week, six defensive performances, the three interceptions generated. They've had their their offensive onslaughts, right? They've had the, the gritty win against the Cardinals. They've had these long running drives to hold things down. They've had explosive Jalen Hurts passing games against Washington. Like, Dallas Goddard had two catches for 22 yards tonight. 
He's been like a feature part of the passing game last two days. Just, you know, quiet day for Goddard. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, just just six Boston Scott carries, five Kenny Gainwell carries. It just became like a, a, a timeshare backfield when we had no semblance of that being a thing over the course of the last. Just they, they are that more than any other team in the league. They're so simple, but it lets them get to so many different spots. And it makes them extremely difficult to beat. Because eventually they just find a pressure point and they just they just they just sit on it. They even did a little bit faster in this game as well. They got moving by what is it the second drive of the game that they're kind of uh, pushing the ball. Yeah, the fifteen play eighty yards drive. It's the second second drive of the game. By then, like all right, we found home base. They get some turnovers, generate an early lead. Things get a little bit dicey there in the in the second half. Lane Johnson goes down. C.J. Gardner Johnson goes down. Well, guess what? We've got a thirteen play, seventy five yard, seven and a half minute drive back in us where we can just run the football. We can convert on a fourth down. We no problem for us. Uh, they are, they're they're legit. They're it, it's nitpicking at this point, and that's an exciting feeling. Yeah, they're right there. We saw the other uh, two two great teams play at four twenty five. The Chiefs and the Bills. You saw the Eagles perform in Sunday night. It's hard to find that many teams that belong in that category where you feel good about mm-hmm. saying this is a very, very good team that should be yeah. there deep into the playoffs. And, you know, those other two teams play in the AFC. You play, the Eagles play in the NFC, and there the teams do not look nearly as impressive. So like I said, we'll get to some big picture thoughts. That's one of the main things I want. Yeah, I want to emphasize because yeah. yeah. I was getting into this with the Eagles fans on the timeline a little bit. Uh, this idea of like, the, uh, the the Bills and the Chiefs and kind of on what tier the Eagles are on and, and you know, are they elite with the Bills and Chiefs or are they not? It's a very weird year in the NFL writ large, right? Like a lot of teams will play really good games and then lose them. A lot of teams look good one week and not. Like it's a very weird year for parity. Like the teams that have bad quarterbacks keep winning, right? Like the Zach Wilson's undefeated. Cooper Rush was undefeated coming into this game, right? Yeah. Bailey Zappi hasn't lost. Like it's been like a weird year for like calibrating to who's good and who's not. So, yeah, like, it's frustrating the Eagles are letting teams back in in the second half. But if you go and check the rest of the league, like, the Ravens are letting teams back in in the second half and then subsequently losing the game. The Eagles are not doing that. So, like, things are like, uh, are they a top-tier team? Are they as good as the Bills? She's like, probably not. Like, maybe no, whatever. But, like, they're handling business. 28 teams in the league right now are just, like, impossible to pay down on a week-to-week basis. And the Eagles are... Four quarters, exactly what you expect them to be handling business. It, it, it's not perfect, but it's very, very good relative to where the rest of the NFL is right now. Yeah, I think that's an important point. By the way, when did everyone start saying writ large? Is this a Gen Z thing? Although I feel like it was six that's, months that, ago. That, that's, every that's a, podcast that's a I'm thing. on. And no, I say it a lot. No, I've, I've been here more. I feel like it's a pod. I don't know if it's a podcaster thing. It's a big thing, a writ large thing. So if you play like a, you know, a, a drinking game with uh, the Ringers Philly special where you take a sip of tea every time one of us says something, then uh, you, know, you probably got some, some lemon in your throat right now. I would say <laughs> it's, uh, it, it, it is a good reset because as I'm watching that, I'm going, oh, you know, and I know Eagles fans are thinking, all right, he gets to 2017 in the second half and you're going, oh, this is getting ugly. They're getting a little messy. They're getting a little sloppy. It's like most games have these ebbs and flows. Not every game is just mm-hmm. go up 24-8 at halftime and then you can kind of do whatever you want in the second half. This is a team that was 4-1 and one coming in. This is a team with a very good defense. And so it did get a little dicey there in the second half. But I, that's where I want to start w- with my uh, big picture thought. And like I said, we'll go big picture thoughts. We'll do a little on the offense and defense. And then uh, we'll finish with a segment on the fills. But 
Man, that 13-play, 75-yard drive, what a luxury. What a luxury to just take something like that for granted. Mm -hmm. It's 2017. The sphincters are getting a little bit tight at Lincoln Financial Field. You're going, oh, my God. No, they're they're not actually going to blow this game, are they, to Cooper freaking rush? And what do they do? They, They do what they've done in this spot all season long, going back to last year. They turn to the run game. They turn to their strength. The offensive line, 10 runs on that 13-play 75-yard drive. One of those was a scramble, but I think nine called runs, and even the touchdown is an RPO. So it gets a little dicey when you go right. with the numbers, but we get the point that they were able to run the football there. Kenny Gainwell converts a third and four. Jalen Hurts with a sneak on third and one, which like... What are teams going to do to try to stop this? I mean, that. Yeah, the fact that the Eagles have started doing those sneaks in victory formation is extremely rude. <laughs> That's asking for trouble. They're getting in the kneel formation. Yeah. They got two, you know, personal protectors on either side of Hurts, either corner, and then one guy way far behind. It's the victory formation on like a second and one sneak in the third quarter. Yeah. Dastardly <laughs> stuff. I absolutely love it. Last year was the last week, it was the triple I, and, and this week, right. uh, it, it was that. So Hurt sneaks for the third and one. I mean, Leighton Vanderash, I don't know if that would be a penalty or not, just like his helmet just flying over the line of scrimmage, looking to connect with somebody, but doesn't work. They get the huge catch and run with AJ Brown for 22 yards. What have we said for six weeks now? AJ Brown just solves problems. Uh oh, it's a big spot. Oh, we actually do have to pass the ball here. Well, who are we going to go to? Who's going to make a play? Oh, look, you have one of the best wide receivers in the entire NFL who the first defender never tackles. And it's AJ mm-hmm. Brown right there for a 22 yard gain. They cap it off with the touchdown on the RPO to Devontae Smith. Like, we can't. Uh, overstate what a drive that was. That's against one of the best defenses in the NFL. That's against a defense that has not allowed more than 19 points to a team through the first five weeks of the season. And they had played uh, Tom Brady and Joe Burrow and Matthew Stafford and Sean McVay. They weren't just playing a bunch of cupcakes on that schedule. You're down two linemen, by the way, at the end of that drive. Lane Johnson had already left the game. Landon Dickerson leaves the game during that drive. Like, that is a big boy drive right there. They had to they had to have one last week against the Cardinals in a tight game, 70, 17 plays, 70 yards, and then they had to have one this week against a much better defense, 13 plays, 75 yards. That to me was the biggest biggest takeaway, yeah. big thing from this game. No, I was texting folks during the game and like, "Oh, 20 to 17 getting a little little sweaty, right? Armpit test. And I was like, ah, I don't know. I'm pretty sure they're about to have just like a walking down the field running drive. This is what they've done, right? You start to, yeah. you start to really believe in it. Uh, they did to uh, Dallas in the running game that which they did to Jacksonville, right? Similar fronts, similar issues. Uh, there's a penetration style, light style front. So we are going to run zone stuff and then we're just going to run a read option off of it. We're going to leave a guy unblocked, constantly leaving Michael Parsons unblocked. Something we talked about in the preview show. Chris Collinsworth was pointing it out in the uh, in, in the broadcast. The A.J. Brown touchdown, obviously a result of Michael Parsons being unblocked and putting him in conflict. But we're going to leave an edge unblocked and then we're going to beat you with our line with the numbers advantage or we're going to get Jalen Hurts kind of outside. And this was a game where it was a lot of handoffs, right? A lot of those read options might not even actually be options. They just kind of look like it forced that defender to respect it. Dallas anticipated this and came with more bare front stuff. Dallas came in and came with a nose. They came with five down front. Like they're like, we don't want to get Jacksonville. They still got Jacksonville. 
right? And that, that, that's what it was there. I remember after the, uh, the Eagles go ahead 14 to nothing, right? Because they have that touchdown drive, they get the pick. But then they actually have to drive, right? They get the ball in the 44, and they, they run the ball that entire drive all the way down the field until the A.J. Brown touchdown pass. That, that seven-play touchdown drive is six runs and then the, then the touchdown throw. I just remember saying, yeah, the Eagles said, all right, our best is the offensive line. And the Cowboys said, yeah, yeah, our best is the defensive line. And then it was 14 to nothing at the beginning of the second quarter. Yeah. And our best is better than your best, right? And that, that, that's the advantage that the Eagles get by having this line. Is it's not just, hey, we can beat up on the Cardinals. Hey, we can beat up on Minnesota. It's like, yeah, Washington, Dallas. These are good fronts. Jacksonville. These are some of the best fronts the Eagles will see in the league. That our best is better than your best. And that's such a, such a tremendous luxury. Not only is that when you have that, but when you have that on your line. Because you get to a moment like you get in the, in the fourth quarter where things are feeling a little sweaty and you go, yeah, we're just going to rock the five guys up front. We're going to sit on this ball. Yeah. Like when the Chiefs and when the Bills go to our best is better than your best, it's like the passing game. It's Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes and fast scoring. The Eagles, it looks totally different. Uh, and that, that's an unbelievable luxury. So schematically, it's not like they did anything interesting. It's not, it wasn't like, you know, it was read option heavy, you know, same as the Jack stuff. But they just, yeah, Kelsey's better than you. Landon Dickerson's better than you. Jordan Mailata's better than you. And even if we get banged up, we still got enough guys. Yeah, it, it, it's a good point comparing them to some of the uh, other teams, which obviously, you know, a Mahomes or a Allen makes you more high powered and they can make things right. And I'm not saying you would prefer the Eagles way to do it, but in those situations where you're just trying to string together a long drive, uh, eat clock in the fourth quarter, regain control of the game. There's not another team in the NFL that can do that like them right now. And they've done it uh, in back-to-back weeks. They've done it all season. They make the plays, you know, Hertz makes the plays with his arm when he needs to, but they can really just lean on that run game. So that was one big picture thing I had. The other one was, was what you just mentioned with Parsons. I mean, this goes back to, uh, I, I don't mean to bring up Chip Kelly like uh, every, every podcast, but this goes back to like that 2013 season I think it was the first no, but it but it's yeah it's an important comparison to draw yeah. because that's the intuitive one for Eagles fans and it's yeah. it's exactly correct yeah this is the most college offense the NFL has seen save for like Ravens Lamar and, and Arizona Kyler and even then it's a little bit different since chip mm. this is the, you, this should feel like chip this is what they're doing <laughs> Don't get mad at us. We're just making the observation. And and it's true. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that because because now it's like, you know, you said it during the broadcast. They're pointing it out. Um, but it's it's new, but it's not new. I mean, I remember that year, Von Miller, Khalil Mack. Uh, I mean, there were these edge rushers they would face and this is what they would do to him. And it was the exact philosophy. Why block them when you can read them? Now, it's not that simple. Obviously, t- defenses have change ups, but it's so funny Yeah, w- when you say that. I mean, I feel like draft season, you know, NFL people love to rip college offenses. Oh, you know, they only do this. They only do this. Guess what? It's, mm-hmm. it's you know, they just used it. Like you said, a college offense to not the whole game, but for a lot of the game, neutralize a guy who I believe is going to be a Hall of Fame defensive player and who in, is in his prime and is probably going to win Defensive Player of the Year this year. Those are the tactics. Those are the concepts they use there. So, uh, you know, there were obviously some plays that that stood out, you know, when they're just uh, bringing A.J. Brown there uh, in motion and then putting Parsons in conflict on the RPO. They did that on a fourth and three, hit him in the flat. Um, anything else, this is probably something we'll get to during the week once we get to a chance to take a closer look at it. But uh, mm-hmm. what else did you see kind of watching live with what they were doing with Parsons there, especially in the first half? Yes, uh, uh, leave him unblocked, leave him unblocked, leave him unblocked. And then as uh, Chris pointed out, 
a little bit lewdly on the pod, on the <laughs> broadcast. After you leave a guy on block for a while, hit him, wham him, pull a guy, right? And he'll start to fall asleep. Like, yeah, I'm unblocked, I'm trying to read, I'm unblocked, trying to read, I'm unblocked, trying to read. And he won't notice Landon Dickerson coming on the pole. Yeah, right? he got and him that on that the, one. Yeah, that was the opening run of the 13 play, seven and a half minute, go ahead by two scores drive, right? So we've been leaving Parsons unblocked, 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 unblocked. And then we're going to open this drive and he's going to feel like it's the exact same, but it's not. We're going to pull two guys out of Landon Dickerson's going to ear hole him. And we're going to have a big lane for, for uh, Miles Sanders' 13-yard carry. That little wrinkle, that little just a counter, uh, uh, a, a manipulation of just one dude is so fundamental to running this sort of college offense well because it's very, 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 very simple. So you have to be able to find one guy who's been reading the same thing all night and then make him wrong. That's what the Eagles did on the uh, Devontae Smith touchdown, right? We've been talking since week two about this slant flat uh, yeah. RPO, right? Zone read, and then the tight end's going to go to the flat. So the entire line goes one way, the tight end goes the other way. Go and go, he runs to the flat. The receiver to that side runs a little slant, little curl. He's just trying to create a little congestion, make a little natural pick. And then uh, Jalen can either give the ball or he can pull it. And when he pulls it, he's the chance to throw the flat. This is different than the A.J. Brown touchdown, where it's like Brown is going in motion. This is we have a flat route, and then there's also a slant route sitting there to create some congestion. On the Devontae Smith touchdown, they run zone slant flat RPO. But after Devontae runs the slant and he turns and he shows the entire Dallas defense, hey, I'm just here. I'm creating a pick. The ball's going to Dallas Goddard. Once they sucker down, he just leaks to the back of the end zone and there's nobody near him. And Trevon Diggs is throwing his helmet around. It's so simple. Yeah. It's so easy. It's not hard to cover. But after seeing it 98 times in the film room on Tuesday and five times during the game, you're Donovan Wilson and you go, I know what this is. And you go and you jump it. Get the ball back. Don't let him score galvanize the offense yeah. and then it's over your head for, for Devontae Smith for six that ability to just little manipulations is so critical to this offense working and as we've talked about for six weeks it's good you set up the the you establish like the, the baseline and you run the counters the important thing over the remainder of the season is the counters to the counters continuing to stay one step ahead continuing to find wrinkles off that but this game is a great example of how those little wrinkles create explosive gains touchdowns you stay ahead of the opposing team it's a great point with Trevon Diggs. I was thinking the same thing when you look at him and you say, well, why is he slamming uh, his helmet there? And I'll be curious to see what they say when they talk after the game. We're recording this right after the game. But I, th I my, my belief, it's exactly what you said. You know, this, it, it's not that, oh, it's not, oh my gosh, Patrick Mahomes made a crazy play or Josh Allen made a crazy play or they made, or, or shoot, this wasn't part of the game plan we prepared for. It's quite the opposite. It's we've seen all this is what we were drilling all week uh, in the film room on the field. These were the plays we knew they were going to use. These are the plays they use every week. Why mm -hmm. are they scoring 26 points on us right now? When, so when we stopped all these other, you know, when we stopped Joe Burrow, when we stopped Tom Brady in week one, why is this happening to us right now? That that's what it looked like to me. And you could even see it on Parsons face in the first half coming off the field. Like, I mean, you know, we saw him in the second half. He can just wreck possessions. He can wreck series. He can wreck plays. He can absolutely do that. And credit to the Eagles coaching staff, their game plan going into this game. We said it last week. Their game plan was don't let the blitz wreck our offense. This week it was don't let Micah Parsons wreck our offense. That's not going to happen mm -hmm. to us. We are going to figure out ways to make sure that does not happen. And uh, to their credit, that is what they did. All right, we still got a lot. Yeah, which, yeah. wait, to that point very quickly, the clips they kept running for Michael Parsons beating up on Jack Driscoll were not Jack Driscoll's fault. 
Jack Driscoll did, as we continues to do, just a pleasantly mediocre job yeah. at whatever he's asked to do. Which going from left tackle to right tackle is a big ask. Yeah. But like the, they kept on running, they were like lanes out, and absolutely like it sucked. Like Parsons was disrupting the game a lot more. But there's one where like Jalen Hurts is like 19 <laughs> yards back, so he's setting up for a screen. He gets into Parsons' lap, and then the other one is unblocked pressure. So third, and I want to say seven. Uh, uh, yeah, third and seven from the Eagles 48. Cowboys put seven dudes on the line. Eagles got a tight end and Kenny Gainwell because it's third down. And this is the exact look that caused him trouble against the Cardinals. Gainwell goes to step up. He and Mylotta disagree on who's supposed to get whom. And Dante Fowler comes free down the pipe, right? Hurts gets to the top of his drop and just turtles. Immediate sack. And they're running the clip like Michael Parsons beat Jack Driscoll. Come on, man. It's a seven-man blitz. It's some of the stories elsewhere. So firstly, Driscoll was... Uh, whatever. What's the what's the word? We're slandered in the media. Libel. Okay. Secondly, the Eagles got to freaking figure out how to max protect. They still don't know how to do it. Like I said, there's a two week problem now. So bi week checklist number one: get a back who can pass protect. I am not wired like an NFL player. I think listeners would probably, uh, I probably didn't need to say that. You probably understand that because I was just thinking, man, if I'm Driscoll, I'm on the sideline going, this is not the game I need to go. I need to go in and play it. Listen, I love to play. It's fun to play. I'm competitive, but you guys just, you know, you go out there and handle him uh, this week. But uh, yeah, you're, you're right. He didn't. I mean, listen, a lot of times, and again, in that situation, your backup right tackle goes in. And the games like that, that 13 play 75 yard drive is not available to you, you know, be, because yeah. of who your right tackle is, how he's coached, what you're asking him to do, the coaching adjustments mm-hmm. you make, all those things put together. Uh, their scheme, you know, but their scheme can help the offensive line uh, as well. I mean, I think Jalen Hurts' average throw again this week went 4.4 yards. I think it was, it was four yards in the first half. Yeah. This was not a, you know, deep drop, throw the ball downfield type of game. It didn't need to be at any point. I'm sure they had some shot plays baked in and hey if we get to him we get to him but you go up 20 nothing and then you put together a drive like that and then you're playing with two backup offensive linemen well now you don't need to do uh do those things so it's kind of a credit to the entire operation there but that's nice you know if jack driscoll's listening or anyone from the driscoll family is listening they know that uh this is a spot where we will evaluate him fairly and we'll not just show those clips yes and we will call him jack and not jake it's called Jake. Did they call Driscoll him Jake. Oh, I didn't even yes, know that. Despicable. Okay. <laughs> I, nothing from my UMass to Auburn transfer fourth round pick of the 2020 NFL draft. Big Jack Driscoll fan over here. I had, you know what? I had Jack Driscoll uh, mocked to the Eagles in my seven round mock that year. It was the best I've ever done, you know, to flex a little bit, take a whiff. I had three players correct uh, in that draft, and he was one of them. So he- that 2020 draft was the year they got obsessed with jumps. Everybody yeah. they drafted was like 75th percentile <laughs> yeah. jumper. Right, Jack and Prince Tegelwanoga, who sadly didn't make it. But yeah, Driscoll, like the most, the best way to contextualize Driscoll going in is does every Eagles fan remember Matt Pryor? Remember, yeah, remember the when we starting were like, oh, Matt Pryor, offensive lineman for the Colts. Right, yes. Yeah, exactly. Matt Pryor started at left tackle for the Colts. After a few games, he got like moved to right tackle, and then they started him at right guard because Matt Pryor's their fifth best offensive lineman, and they can't find a place to put him on the offensive line to hide him. Everywhere he goes, he's just getting victimized by opposing teams. That was their that that was a round three Eagles offensive line pick a few years ago. Miss he's with the Colts, he can't hang. Driscoll, like that. So you, you prior doesn't work. You draft yourself a Driscoll, and then Driscoll's the sort of guy who can actually hang. He's your sixth offensive line. He can play different spots, and he isn't a liability. He isn't a we have to play hide and seek with this guy. That's a big deal. All right, we'll take a quick break, and then we will come back and talk more about this game. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. 
when you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. All right, I feel like we have to go to the, go, go to the schedule here. Uh, wh- what do you call it? The game? What's your, what's your yeah. thing that you... All right. The game. All right, so can I just read these out and you tell me win or loss? Yes, you give me the opponent, also home and away. Mm-hmm. And if it's like a short rest week, you got to give me that too. How do I keep track? I mean, you're young. You can probably keep track in your head. I got to get the pen and I the just pad. I just have a scratch paper. Okay, I was just, okay. just little le- are, you, are you a legal pad man? Uh, no, no. M- my wife Meredith is, okay. and I, I, I get yelled at when I use legal pads. So I just have like one of the small notebooks. Oh, that's a good one. That's a nice one. All right, let's do it. So they are 6-0. Ben Solak, they are six and zero going into their bye week, uh, as expected. As expected, we we both thought they were going to be good. I didn't think they were going to get through unscathed like this. I thought there would be certainly a loss or two in there by the time we got to the bye. All right, week eight, they return at home against the Pittsburgh Steelers. We don't know who's going to be quarterback there. Kenny Pickett started yeah. today, left the game. Mitchell Trubisky came in. Either way, I'm not sure it matters that much, but what do you got? Not worried about that. That's a win. That's a win. All right. Uh, Houston Tech At the Houston Texans on a Thursday night in week nine. Win. I'm trying to guess, like, what are, what's the line? I mean, if they were six and a half against Cooper Rush, I mean, it was Cooper Rush with this defense, is going to be more than six and a half against yeah, the Steelers. Yeah. If I were making... Eagles Mills versus Davis Mills Texans on Thursday night in like five days from now, eight nine. I think I'd open the line at. What do you think? What do you think about that home game against the Steelers? Similar, I would say. Yeah, I I, might not get to ten, but yeah, yeah. Like that's at home. That's like nine and a half, ten. Yeah. Okay. Listen to these slides. They're going to be favored. All right, week ten. Monday nighter against the Commanders. We don't know if we'll see Carson Wentz uh, for that game. That's a home game. Win. Okay. Uh, week 11 at the Indianapolis Colts, who absolutely suck. I guess, you know, maybe it could be a trap game or something, but gosh, yeah. that team is bad. Win. I don't care if they won today. That's a win. Uh, home against the Green Bay Packers, week 12, Sunday win. night. Packers are bad. Wow. Packers are supposed to be okay. one of the biggest tests, and the Packers are bad. Okay. And then what? The Saints are like two weeks from then. They're also bad. Uh, week 13, home against the Tennessee Titans. That Maybe that's the tricky That could be a tricky one that trips them yeah. up. The Titans at least will compete, you know, every week. Right. And the Titans are super physical, which is just like an annoying brand of football to play. Like it's, you know, you, you end up with like 13 degree weather. Yeah. The Titans come and just sucks. It's just like a sucky. Brable's out there in a sleeveless, you know, in shorts. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. That's a little <laughs> trappy, but also like win. They're better than Titans. Okay. 
So you have them right now. I just I don't I know you don't didn't do this last time, but I got to reset since it's an undefeated season. You have them at seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, and zero at this point. Yeah, casual through week thirteen. <laughs> then they go to the at at the New York Giants team, getting a lot of buzz. Big win, to, impressive win today. I mean, the Ravens kind of mm-hmm. handed it to them as they tend yes. to do in the fourth quarter, but still they came away with the win uh, at the New York Giants week fourteen Sunday one o'clock game. December eleventh, win win. The Giants had the Giants had three point eight <laughs> yards per play today, and they won. Third, that's disgusting. Thirteen and zero. I know the next one's is going to be a win at the Chicago Bears, week fifteen. Lost. Your your <laughs> former hometown for a little bit there. Uh, One o'clock yeah. on a Sunday, December eighteenth. I'll put you down as a, a win, win unless you tell me otherwise. That's a win, and then they'll have like won the division, and then they'll lose in Dallas because they're like. Starting Minshew. so you so you, you know I mean? so all right well so you think going into week sixteen a Saturday game Christmas Eve at the Dallas Cowboys you have them undefeated fourteen and zero through fifteen weeks and throwing that game away because they've already clinched the top seed in the NFC I guess maybe they haven't clinched the top seed the reality is like I don't think they're <laughs> going to go fourteen and zero like the collective weight of being undefeated plus trap games plus injuries is like yeah probably something's going to happen. But the, the salient point of the game is like, holy smokes, even the games we thought were going to be hard, Giants, Saints, or not Giants, uh, Packers, Saints, these teams don't look good. Yeah. The Saints, like, are, don't know if they're going to start Andy Dalton or Jameis when he gets healthy. That's a horrible place to be. The Giants have lost consecutive games to teams that play in New York. Unacceptable. Or the Packers, I keep saying the Giants. These are the the Eagles have very, very few good teams left until they catch Dallas again. And by that point, if they're 14 and 0, then somebody else in the division needs to have three wins or three losses or fewer in order for the division not to be secure. Because the worst the Eagles can be is 14 and 3. Right. So there's a chance that we're just like, you know, chilling around the Christmas table talking about the NFC East champion Philadelphia Eagles. But the bye would, yeah, the bye could potentially yeah. still, but it might not be at stake with the way these other NFC teams exactly. are playing, the, honestly. The, 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 yeah. Who who in the NFC? Yeah, let me take a look here. The Vikings. The Vikings are the only team oh in gosh. the NFC outside of the East who are one loss or fewer. And the Eagles beat them. And they the have the e- Eagles beat them, so they've got the tiebreaker. The Gi- yeah, the Giants are in division. They're five and one. You're right. Everyone else. Oh my! Everyone in the NFC West has at least three losses. Everyone in the NFC yes. South has at least three losses. It's three losses. They're bad. The only teams with two or fewer are the Cowboys. The Giants, the Eagles, Eagles and the Vikings. And And like you said, they owned the tiebreaker against the Vikings. They could own the tie. Wow. Oh, my goodness. The single most important (laughs) game remaining on the Eagles schedule is home against the Giants in week 12 or something like that. It's ridiculous. That's wild. 6-0. I didn't realize this. And only three other teams have fewer than three losses. That, in the conference. In the conference. In the conference. Uh, then you get the Saints in week 17. You're incentivized to beat the Saints because you got their draft pick. So you, you got to hammer them oh, true. one way or the you other. Sit, you sit in the <laughs> starters like week 15, week 16. Bring them back for week 17. <laughs> you sell this thing like, yeah, we just wanted to get them some work before the playoffs. Absolutely, it's going to be yeah. a long layoff. You hammer them and then you finish with the Giants. So yeah, what I mean, that at the Cowboys, you know, Dak will be there. They're, they're going to be a competitive team. So that's an interesting game in week 16. I guess at the Giants, week 14 could be an interesting game. The Titans game, the Packers game. So I can talk myself into like a few of these being interesting. But man, coming off the bye, Steelers, Texans, Commanders, Colts, that that would be, yeah, yeah I don't know. That's, that, that's a stay healthy run. Yeah, that, that's just a, right. Like, that's just a stay healthy run. That's a good you point. You get like 
when you get like Colts Titans, you could be in a spot where the AFC South is really desperate. Like they're they're contending for like each one of those teams is at the top of the division. Like you know, like I think the Colts are a lot better than they've seemed. I think like the Titans, like we said, are a tough out. But like I'm not going to be concerned if they drop a game. If they drop a few, it's like okay, you handle your business. But the way the the way they play right now is so high floor. Like we're talking about, there's there's so many different ways they can beat you. You kind of find one pressure point and push. And there's they're they're so simple, which makes them so variable. And that that's a hard that that high floor level of play is hard to see just like randomly having a stinker against the commanders. I will say, even if it's no big deal, when and if they do lose one of those games, I'm gonna need to come on here and just like rip rip somebody. I mean, this feels so unnatural. We this were feels very, very close to the Gannon rip. <laughs> yeah, we were, we were, were getting there. I know. Yeah, I which... felt I was I was feeling so alive on my insides. <laughs> Finally, let me please. After all these games, we just have to come on here and talk about how good they are. Yeah. So I guess we should get back. Uh, that was that was a nice subtle way of saying she'll get back to the game. It's twelve seventeen, and <laughs> right, and we have a long week ahead. All right, let's talk about the defense, and then we'll talk about if we have leftovers with the offense. So they give up three hundred and fifteen yards. They're looking good for a lot for the first half for sure, and then in the second half. They give up a 79-yard drive and a 93-yard drive. To me, it felt like uh, the run game for the Cowboys was obviously working. I'm, I want to watch the mm-hmm. film because on the clips they were showing, it looked like Fletcher Cox was getting moved around uh, quite a bit. I don't know if that yep. will be the case uh, on the film. And then it was a lot of like play, you know, bootlegs, play, play action, boots, and him just hitting people who are open. It didn't seem overly complicated to me. What did you see when the defense started to have a little bit of a rough go? Yeah, this is this is the same stuff it's always been, which is just siloed fronts, right? And uh, the Cowboys were very clearly, especially by the second scoring drive there to start the, the the second half, walking out into the huddle, sending their personnel out. Right, got Pony Pollard, Jake Ferguson, you know Noah Brown can block. So we have some guys who we can line up tight, guys who we can can the ball to, and guys that we can spread out wide. And then they look in the Eagles' backfield. They go, "Is ninety out there? No. Okay, they're in four down. Let's." Be condensed. Let's put a tiny line of scrimmage. Let's run the football. Is 90 out there? All right, they're in five down. Spread, right? We're just going to put four wide. We're going to be in the gun. We're going to throw it, right? The Eagles have silent fronts. If Davis is is in the huddle, they're going to walk out in a five-man front. They're going to walk out in an odd front. If he's not in the huddle, they're going to walk out in a four-down front. Every time, 100%, no variable. So you have the ability to... C90 jog on or off the field and say, this is the call that we want to get into. And they start to find easy yardage. Throughout the course of the game, with Jordan Davis on the field, the Cowboys were 50% dropbacks. So the 50% called run, 50% dropback. Off the field, 64% called dropback, 36% run. So it goes from 50-50 to about two to one ratio, right? Some of that's situational, right? The Eagles don't put Davis on the field at like third and nine. And obviously right. that's going to be a dropback, but you have the skew. When on the field... Cowboys offense, 0.11 EPA per drop back. They're playing well. When he's off the field, negative 0.32 EPA per drop back. Eagles defense is playing well. It's what we already know. When Davis is on the field, they're not ready to execute against the pass. They don't have a good pass rush because they rush all five of those guys, but they're rushing from a five-man front. They don't have the penetration, right? Like Sometimes Cox and Hargrave aren't on the field. Sometimes it's Milton Williams and Marlon Tui Peloto. That rush doesn't get home. And then they're stuck with six in coverage. That's where you're like man coverage with five yards cushion. It's just like a turnaround eight-yard route to Noah Brown. So Davis is on the field. They're giving up stuff in the passing game. In the running game, they're great. Uh, the, the Cowboys generally ran the ball quite well, but with Davis on the field, 0.01 EPA per rush, so basically neutral. When he's off the field, 0.17 EPA per rush. Goes from 40% success rate to 56% success rate. So 
I know what front you're going to be in if he's in the huddle or not. It's not like, a, oh, let's check when we get to the line. No, I know what I'm calling the play. If he's on the field, what front you're in. And if you're in a five-man front, I'm going to throw it. If you're in a four-man front, I'm going to run it. And they're able to gash the four-man front. That's the double things you're talking about, right? So you have two defensive tackles. They're going to get center and guard on one, guard and tackle on the other. We're going to run interior on you. You're not going to have three linebackers on the field. The Eagles never, 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 never put three linebackers on the field. And if there's no Chauncey, I'm asking Kayvon Wallace and Marcus Epps to fit the run. It's awesome. It's the it's such easy offense. And and it was, it's very, very effortless when, when you start to get into that rhythm and get into that flow. Now, eventually, the Eagles get a pick, right? They get their third interception of the game after the Cowboys have two scoring drives. Now they're controlling the clock, and they're up by two scores, and everything's hunky-dory. But there was a chance, there was a moment there where things were not hunky-dory. And that's because the Eagles get very predictable, in, and, and your offensive play calling is set by whether or not 90's on the field. Yeah, that play, that specific play, there was very close on that very specific play because James Bradbury falls down. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brandon Graham pressures Cooper Rush. He makes a terrible throw, and that leads to a Chauncey Gardner-Johnson uh, interception. But yeah, that and that was a great catch, by the way, by Gardner-Johnson. That was not an... You yeah, know, he with like a banged-up hand, yes, too. Yeah, I did not think he was yeah, going to catch that. Great job by him. He comes back in with the banged-up hand, scoops it up off the floor. So... Is this a, I guess what I'm trying to ask is what is the solution to this? How concerned are you that this is a big issue? Is the solution as simple as Jordan Davis starts to play in their uh, four down front? Or is there something else you're thinking of to not be so yeah. predictable? There's a myriad of solutions. Play Davis as the one tech in a four down front. Solved. Play somebody else as the nose in a five down front. Probably Tui Pelotu, maybe Hargrave. Mm. Not one, Neither one of those are great, mm. but like... <laughs> there, your, your, your siloing is at least solved. You still might have just like issues in that. Better solution, call better stuff in your five down fronts. Call, like, drop, like, they're not doing as much like drop us on Reddick, drop Josh Webb, drop Patrick Johnson as they were, which, like, okay, net good, but now you only have six guys back there. So they're just playing like cover one or cover three, like fire zone cover three. Call a trap, you know, try to play, uh, try to play quarters and rotate a guy, try to drop us on Reddick, like, like, see if you can get that to work. Or, uh, don't put us on Reddick as one of the edges and put like Kaiser White as one of the edges so that way he can drop. Which and they've done earlier in the season. Yeah. 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 So there's 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 buttons to push, but like the they they don't have to be bad in pass defense in their five down stuff. It's harder to rush the passer. So you have to be better in coverage and their coverage gets tested and they kind of play man with all this off cushion. But like press, trap, rotate, do stuff in the back seven to make the five down front more viable against the pass. Then you don't have to worry about the siloing as much because you're better against the pass when Davis is on the field. I, uh, the, the number one best solution is, you know, Davis continues to improve, which we've seen over the course of six weeks. Yeah, and so he it's has. Continuing to get him out in the field. And if he can win pass rush reps from the nose against centers more regularly and deconstruct the pocket, right? Put that interior pressure in the quarterback's lap, force early throws, then you're not going to have to worry about the issue. So all, some of it is also just Davis getting better as a pass rusher, which we've seen, but, you know, six weeks into his career and he's, a big guy, a high pad level, and yada, yada, whatever. So there's a lot of solutions. It's just you have to be able to identify that this is actually an issue, which the Eagles have th- three defensive packages. They have 5-1, five, 5-2, five, two, four, two. They don't run anything besides that. And that is very, very, very brave. And a close cousin of very brave is very stupid. And through six weeks, it's just been brave. And we'll just kind of see how long it kind of walks that line. Did you hear the schedule I just read out? I think it's good. I think it's like we said last week. I mean, yeah, you're right. Sometimes the change, if, if, 
If something happens to necessitate a change, that's when you make a change. If nothing happens to necessitate a change, then you say, hey, what we're doing is working really well. So that's something to keep an eye on. It's something you don't have to, you, you know, you don't have to do it every week. You can be, uh, like you said, a little bit predictable against a lot of these teams that are on their schedule, but you would like to have that available to you uh, if you need to move to it. So I think that's a, that's a good point there. Uh, Slay and Bradbury, I mean, the corners continue to play really well. Six passes defended between the two of them. Slay also had an interception. Bradbury deflects the pass to get the first Chauncey Gardner uh, Johnson interception. So uh, those two have been fantastic through the first uh, six weeks. And again, not to sound like a broken record, but you're not going to exactly get uh, tested by uh, Kenny Trubisky or Davis Mills or Taylor Wentz coming off of the uh, off the bye, whoever Sam Howell <laughs> or Sam Howell, sweat from Sammy, whoever's playing uh, quarterback. So uh, it's going to be a while, but uh, those guys have definitely played well. Anything else with the defense that you wanted to mention? I didn't know Bradbury was second in the league in yards per coverage snap. Man, I knew Bradbury yeah. was playing well. They, they put out that graphic. It goes Derwin James yeah. and then James Bradbury in terms of yards per coverage snap allowed. Ooh, Nelly. Yeah, James Bradbury is playing some good ball. Um, no, Chris Collinsworth losing his mind over Kaiser White making tackles in space was hilarious to me. Very good Kaiser White game. <laughs> but Chris was like, I'm a big Kaiser White fan. I was like, yeah, I would be too if this game was my entire scope for watching I Kaiser think he's White. played well. I think he's, he's, yeah, yeah, he's played yeah, well. But you're right. Yeah, he, well, I used to always play yeah. the game where who is, he, who is Collinsworth going to go nuts about? I like to, t- I like to predict it. I mean, for a while there, it was Jason Peters, yeah. uh, Fletcher Cox. Had some moments. Oh man, I, I'm kicking myself. I wish we could have played that game uh, during the week. I would not. I would not have guessed Kaiser White. I'll tell you that much. He he certainly would not. So he he was really stoked about the influence of Lane Johnson being gone. And I wanted to be like, yo, if there's yeah. one fan base that would know that losing their right tackle sucks, yeah, it would be the Eagles with Lane Johnson. Yeah. Like every Eagles fan knows when Lane goes out, like that's the one guy who can't go out. We've been down that yes. road. It's an ugly, ugly road. Absolutely. Um. So yeah, the Kaiser defense thing was funny. Um. No. Other than that, good. The Brandon Graham pressure on the uh, on the yeah, that was a huge pick, one. The third one, yeah, huge one, and also an example of what we were talking about in the uh, in the uh, pregame, right? In the preview show, Eagles playing a little bit more press man potentially, and kind of what that might look like. It's all just about your coverage versus your pass rush interchange. How long do you need to cover? How quickly can your pass rush get there? And all right, you want to run a double move? You can get the Eagles on a double move because their corners play aggressive. Slay and 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 Bradbury break on you. But if you're going to run a double move, you better be able to block a very deep pass rush. And that's how that works. So, yeah, yeah, you got James Radbury, but you didn't get Brandon Graham. You got to get both of them on the same play to connect on one of those. And they couldn't. Yeah, that goes to when I was talking about how it felt like Kyler Murray was leaving plays on the field. It feels like there's a couple of those every week where you go, ooh, if 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 they didn't get him just at that time, that could have been a big play. But you're right. That's how it works. And if you do get there on time, then you deserve credit. Uh, Eagles offer Three Chauncey picks in two weeks now. I think that's correct. Yeah. And we said not a single one of them, like a really super high (laughs) quality play, but I will be using those stats to further my agenda regardless. Yeah. I knew Chauncey was good. I was just thinking this. Deep safety Chauncey, baby. (laughs) I was thinking that. And hey, good for him. His agent should be smiling because uh, he's a free agent after the year. Three interceptions. Even Pull up that PFF chart. Be like, here are my three interceptions from deep safety alignment. I would like the Marcus Williams contract now, please. Yeah, it's good business. I, I was thinking the same thing, and none of them are like, "Oh, baby, love, well, fantastic job here." But you know what? I guess part of safety stats is just kind of being around and 
when the ball comes to you, catching it and not dropping it. So credit to him there you go. for doing that. And real credit to him for, uh, we don't know how bad that injury was, but it looked very painful. And he came back and he played and he made a play. So good job there. Uh, Eagles offense, only 268 total yards. Still have 22 first downs. We talked about the big drive they had there. Uh, I don't know if this would surprise you or not. Maybe not because they did score 26 points. But based on EPA per drive, this was still by far the best performance against the Cowboys uh, all season through six weeks. It wasn't like uh, the best offense versus Cowboys defense. Yes. Best offensive yeah. performance against the Cowboys defense. So uh, adding that context is important because I do think they have a very good defense. You didn't play your best offensive game and it was still better than anyone else who's played the Cowboys so far uh, this season. Uh, anything that stood out to you that we haven't talked about with the offense. We talked about what they did with Jay Parsons. Kelly's never missed a kick. Yeah. Um, Nah, yeah. good football team, man. Yeah. Hurts, 15 for 25, 155, 6.2 yards per attempt. Two quick things I think we probably take for granted. One is he doesn't turn the ball over in like, you know, a lot. Yeah. And like in this spot, you know, like one turnover in this game uh, could have been meaningful in a bad spot in the second half there. Now there was the snap Kelsey had to yeah. him when he wasn't ready, but that's not like a, you know, running and you fumble or anything like that. So that stood out. Uh, and then... The other thing is just these QB sneaks, man. We watch these other games, and short yardage is a freaking adventure with a lot of these teams. And it's the thing everyone's, you know, fans are talking about when their team loses because you can't get short yardage in a high leverage situation. It matters. And I just love that they're like, we're not going to overthink this. Even when during the broadcast, they're like, ooh, they're going to have some counter off the queue. I'm like, no, let's let's wait until the QB sneak uh, doesn't work until you have a counter to it. So that has just been such a weapon for them. The the push, the carry. I don't even know what we call that. Now all these teams are doing it where you just grab the quarterback and throw him yeah. uh, forward there. Add some muscle to it. Yeah, add some muscle to it. So they're doing that. So yeah. uh, good job. How about them. the uh, fourth and four, Jordan Mailata gets the offsides call. Nick Sirianni throws a party on the side. Oh my line. gosh, he was so excited. Nick Sir, I'm officially, Nick's a little bit on on on, on my list now. Like the, the pandering is good. <laughs> And we're reaching the point when you're like on the sidelines screaming at Osa Digazua, like F you, F him. And then you start pacing around with your like glaring eyes while Fletcher Cox hypes you up in the background. I'm like, Nick, you are, you are not, a, you can't go fight the man in a helmet and pads. You can't, you're not allowed, firstly. And secondly, it's just not good. This is bad strategy, man. Like, <laughs> You're, the goal is to have one of your players behave this way and then you stop him. Like, yeah. this is not, this is opposite. They're calming you down. Yeah, th those were the two moments. Yeah. The one was when they, they got the, that was a big spot, by the way. Fourth and five, or fourth and four it was, and you get him to jump off sides. I mean, that's potentially a four-point or a seven-point play. I mean, if you're still going to go for it after that and don't get it, seven points. Uh, if you kick the field goal, four points, you get him. And yes, Nick Sirianni was very, very, very excited about that. And then very excited at the end of the game when uh, Odigizua and Kelsey were mixing. How many hours do you yeah. think Nick Sirianni sleeps in a week? <laughs> I does he sleep like, more than five hours yeah. in a week? No, no, I, I, I think, it, I think he does. I think that he's gonna crash right now, right? He like sleeps until like you know, like eight a.m. Monday. Right? Really? You, know? you think so? Like, no, I don't think yeah, so. No, no, the no. night of a game? No, no, we, no. I think, I think he does a big crash because he's like been hyped up on sugar all week, right? Okay. After the Sunday game, then from like Monday to Thursday, he like doesn't actually sleep. He just takes random like thirty minute couch naps, 
and his hair is always disheveled and his like eyes are black and he's like wearing the same shirt he was wearing two days ago and then on friday he like hibernates like friday he like goes to sleep like 20 hours right just like stores of energy and he wakes up saturday and is just like could like Phillies, Sixers, Eagles, ah! and just for the next like forty hours, just like on Red Bull and Wawa, just vibing, and then he crashes again. That's that's my theory. That it's a good theory, and this week it's going to be especially interesting. Interesting because they're on the bye yet. The Sixers are at home Wednesday. The Phillies are at home Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I mean, we know he's going to be at every mm-hmm. single one of those events on the bye week. So uh, we, we'll see. I can't. I can't wait. Philly's in the World Series, and he's gonna like walk into like a Thursday presser and be like, "Ah, oh, like guys, I gotta gotta head home, gotta catch the Phillies game." And then he's just gonna be in the facility the rest of the day. He's gonna like TiVo it at like three a.m. and then he'll like come in for his like morning presser and be like, "Crazy hit!" and like make sure everybody knows that he watched it. I love it. It kind of drives me nuts, but I love it. He looked very happy at the end of this game, as he should be. Six and zero in his second season. As a head coach, all right, I think we got to all the big stuff. A quick note on the Eagles schedule. We are going to go through the film later this week, and then we'll come back uh, after the bye, and we'll figure it out. We'll have some stuff for you. We will keep the feed loaded. It's it's an undefeated team. It's a team that's in the driver's seat for the top seed in the NFC. It's the team that has probably the best Super Bowl odds. I haven't checked of any team in the NFC, and maybe top two or three uh, league-wide. And so we will continue to deliver all that stuff. All right, we're going to let Benny Souls go here, and then I'm going to come back with some thoughts on the Phillies. Benny, any any parting thoughts before we say bit farewell? Go Phils. There you go. Go, the, go I Phils. watched the Reese Hoskins. Yeah, look at you. Oh, yeah, you're in. That. that was a good time. There that we got go. me hyped up. That was cool. Benny, was Benny Souls is in. I'll, I'll talk about the Phils here in a moment. We'll be right back. Back on the Ringers Philly special. Had to get a Philly segment in here. What a 25 hours at Citizens Bank Park. Phillies are in the NLCS. I don't know where they start a series with the Padres on Tuesday. I got to do post-game pods after each of the remaining games. This has been an incredible run, so definitely look for that on the feed. Listen, some of the best seasons are the ones that come out of nowhere. I mean, two weeks ago, this team was on the verge of an epic collapse, swept by the Cubs, lose the, the first game of that doubleheader against the Nationals. Now they're four wins away from the World Series. So uh, I was lucky enough to get to go to these games this weekend. Incredible atmosphere. Friday afternoon went with my dad, my 10-year-old daughter, Naya. Three generations of sports Indians taking in some, some playoff baseball. How about that? Uh, got into the park, and these bathroom lines we're out of control. That was the first sign that, all right, this crowd is ready. This crowd has been waiting for 11 years for this moment. Lines out the door. I'm like, all right, I think they've had a couple of drinks this afternoon. Started the weekend early. But with playoff baseball, you never know. You know there's going to be anxiety. You know there's going to be tense moments. You know there's going to be instances in the game where you feel like your team is about to blow it. And I have to say, those first two innings from Strider on Friday, I'm already thinking, oh, this is going to be one of those games. This is going to be a long afternoon. I mean, he looked incredible. Six up, six down, swings and misses all over the place. Hoskins and Real Muta, Real Muto strikeout. Bottom of the third, though. One out, Marsh on first. I thought this, this might have been the key at bat of the entire weekend where Stott gets down. One, two, and you're thinking, all right, you know, this is, this is an uphill climb. This is probably not going to go well. Then he takes a ball, then a foul. 
did another foul. I start going, all right, okay, stay alive, stay alive. And he fouls off another. I look over, my daughter starts going, stay alive, stay alive. She's copying what I'm saying. Fouls off four in a row, rips the double down the right field line. And then, you know, that first run, I feel like in these playoff games, you're just like, okay, a little bit of relief here. It might not all work out, but at least it's not going to be a game where it's the eighth inning and my team doesn't even have a run on the board. So he rips that, that down the right field line, nine pitch at bat, amazing at bat for a rookie in that spot. A huge spot, big stage comes through. Schwarber gets intentionally walked. And then, I, I mean, probably really the, the big moment of the weekend, the one that you're seeing videos from all different kinds of angles, the one where it just felt like mayhem after he launched it. Reese Hoskins, first pitch, gone. I, I'm sitting there and I have terrible depth perception. I don't know if a ball is a shallow fly ball. I don't know if it's going to the warning track. I don't know if it's you know, 10 rows up out of here. And I'm just looking at the left fielder there. He doesn't even turn around. And so when you you hear the crack of the bat, you look at the left fielder, he doesn't even turn around. You know that that is a no doubter. And that goes out of the yard. And all of a sudden, it's just a party at Citizens Bank Park. And for it to be Hoskins, I mean, Hoskins relationship with the fans, with the city uh, feels very complicated. I mean, even in that game during the pregame introductions, you know, there's definitely some booze there for Hoskins, given the way, you know, he misplayed that ball. I know it wasn't uh, an error. And so people didn't know how to feel. I mean, he was one for 19 going into that at bat. He strikes out in the first inning and there's definitely some booze after that. And so you're thinking, oh my gosh, is that, you know, legacies can get shaped. I thought going into this weekend, it was like in the next 48 hours, we're going to feel one way or another about Reese Hoskins. I mean, if those games went poorly for him, if they lose that series, all of a sudden he's sort of the symbol. He probably becomes a bit of a punching bag, but you know what? That's why uh, sports are so fun. We don't know what's going to happen. It's unpredictable. We don't know if a guy's going to come through in that spot. He comes through. The bat spike, uh, amazing. Can watch it a million different times. Credit to the Athletics' Matt Gell wrote a great piece on Reese Hoskins. And so that was a really fun moment where who knows what's going to happen in the NLCS. You know, he, he could not get a hit that entire time. He could have key errors and maybe some of that reputations uh, it will be shaped even more. That's why <laughs> there are more games to be played, but he's always going to have that moment. And that's always going to be a fun moment of playoff baseball returning to Philadelphia, him hitting that home run in a big spot and sort of just releasing all that energy and everyone partying and going nuts. So that 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 really, I think, will be, I don't know if all-time moment is, I don't think that's too strong. I mean, it, it felt like an iconic moment at the time, and certainly if they advance here and get to the World Series, then that's going to be a moment that we talk about, no doubt. So inning keeps going. Harper, bomb with Real Muto on base. Uh, again, the place just going absolutely nuts there. That was a special one for me because I felt like, you know, my daughter, uh, Naya, sitting to my right, I, I captured kind of her celebration on video. And I feel like five, 10 years from now, I'm going to look back and just be like, all right, that, that's the moment where she got the sports sickness, where you realized, okay, this is why so many people watch these games, go to these games, 
talk about this, listen to podcasts like this one, listen to sports talk radio, plan huge events around sporting events because there's the possibility of moments like that with Bryce Harper. And so now she's she's totally into this team. She's totally into the playoffs. She, Harper is her favorite player. And she was just going nuts like everyone else in that moment. So I actually posted that video. I got, got a little plug in for the Instagram Instagram. At Shield Kapati. A lot of longtime listeners know I'm not shy about uh, plugging that. So if you want to check out that video, uh, that was really a probably the moment for me personally of the weekend was seeing that with my dad next to her and her going nuts there in that moment. I'm sure, you know, many of you, whether you were at the game, watching at home, whatever, have similar stories, whether it was the Harper home run or other moments like that that you can just remember uh, meant, meant something to you. So Listen, that that inning was an all-timer. Per Jason Stark, the Phillies were 7 for 80 against Strider entering that third inning and just seemingly out of nowhere, really starting with the Marsh walk, I guess, but I, I felt like it really, that start at bat was the one where you felt like, all right, maybe they can get something uh, going here. They get a run there. They score six. They're up six nothing. And then after that, it was the rare stress-free playoff baseball game. I mean, we never get those. Really, both of them. We'll talk about Saturday in a second, but the stress-free baseball game. And then I'm coming home watching that Mariners-Astros game, and I'm watching the Guardians-Yankees game, which are just the opposite nail biters, where you're just worried something horrible is going to happen. And I'm sure those are coming for the Phillies here in the NLCS and potentially the World Series. But to get those two home games that, again, were relatively stress-free after they built up that lead, you didn't have to come from behind. It wasn't a, a one-run game in the seventh and eighth inning where you're just going, "Oh shoot, what what is gonna what is gonna happen right now?" That's going to make my life miserable. So that was fantastic on Friday. And then Saturday, Cindergard takes the mound. Great job. Three innings. The bullpen goes the rest of the way. In these playoff runs, you have the unlikely heroes in unlikely spots. Brandon Marsh. I mean, who would have guessed Brandon Marsh is going to be the guy? Three-run home run. Real Muto with the inside, the Parker. First by a catcher in postseason history. I'm going there acting like he can hear me. I'm doing the home run signal. Go, go, go as, he, as he's approaching second base because you could kind of tell. I mean, he obviously he has wheels and you could tell, all right, he's got a shot here to score. He keeps going. He scores Again, awesome part about baseball. It's been around how many years? And you can just watch a game, see a game where something like that has never happened before. First by a catcher in postseason history. Uh, was a little worried at 4-2 in the fifth, but then they tack on three more in the sixth. And then it's just a party once again at Citizens Bank Park. No one wanted to leave their seats at the end as they celebrate there, dancing on my own, playing. Uh, everybody just had, you know, getting together on the field, uh, ecstatic that you get at least four more games with this baseball team. The other guy I wanted to talk about is Bryce Harper. I, I mean, Harper, we talked about this, uh, I think Dan McQuaid and I, when we were looking ahead to the Phillies postseason and what we were excited about. And I said I was excited to see which way this was going to go for Harper. I mean, he was terrible in September. He was terrible down the stretch coming down from his injury. There were at-bats in there where he looked like he was completely lost. And you felt like, all right, he probably just came back too soon from the injury. He's not himself. These things happen. It's all good. But as we mentioned at the time, Baseball, I mean, you can shape your legacy in a weekend, in a weekend series. 
in the playoffs, and he has been on fire. He homers in both games over the weekend. Last five postseasons, I looked this up, the fine people at True Media, they give us all the football stats, and they texted me and said, hey, you're potting about the Phillies. You want access to some of our baseball stuff? So now I'm nerding out on some of these baseball stats, but I looked it up. Last five years, there have been 184 players with at least 25 plate appearances in the postseason. 184. Among that group, Harper's 435 batting average, tied for first, and he has the highest OPS out of those 184 players. Listen, I understand small sample, incredibly small sample, meaningful, probably not. His OPS probably won't be that high after the next series or even after the World Series as he gets more at-bats. But still, if we're looking at how good has this guy been here through that first series and now through the NLDS he has been an absolute monster. And, and like the home runs over the weekend, they weren't the ones that came in. The You know, Hoskins was the one you'll remember from the first game. Marsh is the one you'll remember from the second game. But Harper still had one in both of those. He's seeing the ball well. Even some of these outs he's hitting, he's crushing the baseball. And so if you're looking for reasons to be optimistic, I mean, there are a lot of them right now, honestly, going into the NLCS. But man, he is on the top of the list. And it's exciting to think about What's this going to look like when the next series is over or when the next two series are over for Bryce Harper? I mean, he this is his fourth season with the Phillies. He won an MVP, and now he's got a big-time playoff performance under his belt that at the very least got you, helped get you to the NLCS. And if he stays hot, who knows? I mean, this is what happens in baseball. It could be over the course of a week, over the course of two weeks, over the course of a month, and all of a sudden, you become an all-time beloved figure in a city very quickly. And so uh, Bryce Harper, unbelievable job out of him through those first two series. And again, he, you know, if there's reason for optimism, and there is, that they can beat the Padres, he is near the top of the list. All right couple other things I wanted to get to with the Phils. Padres are next. You get Wheeler and Nola on the mound for four of those seven games. I mean, you have to feel great about that with the way they've pitched so far. There are a lot of pitchers who are very good in the regular season, and you know it's hard in the postseason. Sometimes you get lit up. Sometimes you get hit. That has not happened to them so far. They, they've, if anything, uh, risen to the occasion. Combined, allowed three earned runs in 25 innings. Nola has not allowed a run in 12 and two-thirds innings. Now you get those guys on extra rest or regular rest in games one and two, and then you'll get them again each uh, one time later in the series. So, I, I mean, that really gives you a leg up pretty much against any other team in baseball when you can pitch those guys four times in a seven-game series. Uh, some funny stuff that happened at Citizens Bank Park this uh, <laughs> this weekend. Uh, the DUI chance at Ozuna and then be like, do I explain this to my 10-year-old? Do I just wait? You know, she might ask me, is she allowed to join in? She's not really sure what's going on here. So listen, we had a uh, we had a good conversation the next day about the dangers of drinking and driving, how you should absolutely, under no circumstances, ever do that, ever get in a car with someone who, who does that, uh, ever allow your friends to do that, whatever. And so uh, we had that conversation. So thank you, Citizens Bank Park. You know, it's probably a little early. 
She's only 10, but I guess it can can never be too early. So we got that out of the way. Uh, The secondhand smell of weed, the the Dr. Oz billboard outside the stadium that says he's a a Cowboys fan, high-fiving strangers. I mean, listen, these these are the reasons you go to live sporting events. These are the memories you cherish with your kids when you can get some of that uh, mixed in there. Your kids, your dad, your mom, your your brothers, sisters, your friends, whoever. So that uh, was very fun. I mentioned the bathroom lines. Uh, listen, don't use the single family restroom if you're a solo without any children. Am I am I off base on that? I don't I don't think so. You know, where I I took uh, my six year old and I went on Saturday. We're standing in this line. There's ten people deep. I'm going where? I don't see any kids here. I you know these these look like grown adults who should be able to go to the big bathroom. So come on, a little respect. We're living in a society. Don't be using that family restroom unless you have a child or another need that uh, that that says you should be in there. How about the bullpen? We haven't talked about the bullpen much yet. Uh, Alvarado, I think, certainly has become a fan favorite with these videos uh, in the locker room. With uh, I saw in the one story, I, I think this was Matt Gelb. Also, apologies if I'm wrong, but that he told uh, Rob Thompson, basically, I'm ready to pitch every game in the postseason. Like going into that Astro series, it's like, all right, I don't need to pitch this series. Give me a little rest. And then once the postseason starts, I'm ready to pitch every game. He looks like he's ready to pitch every game. He has looked outstanding. Maybe the key X factor, I mean, this is kind of like what I was talking about with Harper, a guy you weren't really sure what were you going to get from this guy as the postseason begins. Sir Anthony, I'm, I don't know that, I mean, certainly I do know there's no relief pitcher who's on the mound for the Phillies that I feel better about than Sir Anthony right now. The guy looks unhittable. You can use him in high leverage situations right now. I don't know what all the roles are going to be here against the Padres, but man, three and two thirds, one hit. Eight strikeouts, no walk so far in the postseason. He has looked fantastic, just kind of a bonus that comes out of nowhere that has you feeling uh, even better about the state of that bullpen. So uh, this is a fun team. I remember I said it back on a Birds with Friends episode back in July that, you know, I don't know what's going to happen, but I've been watching the Phillies more this year than I have in 10 or 11 years. And I don't know how far they're going to go, but they are fun on pretty much a nightly basis until that until that uh, stretch down the end of the season where it looked like they were going to collapse. They had been a fun team after they fired Girardi and, brought, and it was Rob Thompson's team. And then they went on that run and Harper gets injured and they persevere through that. And now here they are. It's a really nice mix of young players who seem like they don't know any better. You know, the Marshes, uh, the Stotts, these guys who are out there. And then it's these veterans who are like the complete opposite. I mean, Segura, who's, by the way, I think hitting like 389 in the postseason here. Real Muto, uh, Hoskins we mentioned, Nola we mentioned. I know I'm probably forgetting a bunch of guys, but those are guys who know it's hard to get here. It's hard to get here. Enjoy it while you're here. Make the most of it. It's not necessarily house money because you're not promised another opportunity at it at any time. At the same time, uh, they were the league-wide underdogs to win the World Series when the playoffs started. I think they were like plus 3,000, had the worst odds or tied for the worst odds of any team. And now here they are 
eight games away from potentially winning what would be an unlikely World Series championship. So uh, I really just like the mix of young and old, Schwarber, kind of the uncle of, of everybody, bringing it all together, answering the questions, whether it's good times, bad times, or whatever. By the way, he hasn't done anything yet. Uh, I'm, he, he's going to have a moment. I've said, I said it before. This series didn't happen this series. You know what? He's not done yet. He's going to have a moment. He's going to have multiple moments. Man, if he goes on a little bit of a tear, if he gets a little bit hot, Again, then you're then you're talking about something that could be really special. But he's someone who, even when he gets in these slumps, you just feel like he's one swing away from getting out of it. He even had the long foul ball on Saturday, where it was like, all right, that that's a good sign at least. Uh, he is going to get there, so I'm excited to see what he does in this Padres series. What else did I want to get to? I mean. Uh, I just want to reiterate uh, a fun part of me is, is seeing uh, my daughter. Fun part of this for me is seeing my daughter Naya just being like so into it, so excited about it. Waking up Sunday morning, asking me, "Did the Dodgers or the Padres win?" Already asking if she can stay up uh, to watch these NLCS games. You know, I was ten years old when the Phillies made the World Series against the Blue Jays. She's 10, year, 10 years old now. Uh, I just remember being so into that team. I remember being so heartbroken. Uh, at the end, it really, I, I was a sports fan before then, but that was the first team I really remember sort of falling in love with. And I, I feel like that's what's happening uh, with her now. So that that is always so cool. And that is definitely a special part of this run for me and probably a reason why I'm also so into this team. All right. I think that's everything I wanted to say about the Phillies. Sorry, I just, you know, babbled for however long it was. I uh, didn't have a guest today. I am going to have guests for these Phillies post-game pods uh, for at least four games, maybe seven games, as many as 14 games if they uh, go seven uh, each of the next two series and are in the World Series. But we're going to have that covered. Uh, we're lucky that this run happened right as we launched the Ringers Philly special. Thanks to everyone who said hello at Citizens uh, Bank Park. Like I said, it's a party down there. You run into a lot of people, uh, people of different ages. So people who have listened or uh, reading The Ringer or consumed uh, any of the content who, who stopped and said, hello, that was really cool. Uh, friend of the show, Zoe Bevilacqua, seventh grader, you know, brought up that, that temperature conversation I had with Benny Souls last week, thought I might have been a, a little bit off. And I think she might have been right there. So nice to have such attentive listeners like Zoe. And good to see that we're, uh, you know, we're resonating with the young, cool audience. You never know who's listening to these podcasts. So uh, that was awesome. Again, appreciate everyone who stopped and said hello. Appreciate everyone for listening. Thanks to Benny Souls. Thanks to Cliff Augustine for producing. Ben and I will be back to break down the Eagles-Cowboys film uh, Wednesday or Thursday of this week. I'll have that first Phillies post-game pod Tuesday night after game one. I love how the NLCS, the Phillies in the NLCS, timing up with the Eagles bye week. Uh, that is absolutely perfect. Getting, was getting a little overwhelmed uh, the previous two weeks, so this will be nice. Get a little breather from the Eagles. Uh, focus on the Phillies for a little bit here, but we'll, of course, have Eagles episodes to break down the film, and then the following week, we'll come up with something as they resume their schedule. Remember, rate, review, subscribe, Tell your friends, grab their phones, download the podcast for them, make up, make, make fun of them. Uh, if they're not listening, you know, have your have it in your group group texts, have it in your conversations. So if people 
don't know what you're talking about. When you talk about the Ringer's Philly special, they feel left out. They feel like, man, I got to go home and download these episodes and listen to them so I don't feel left out uh, in these conversations going forward. All right. Appreciate it, everyone. I will talk to you Tuesday night after game one.